You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Jason Leininger, and it's a joy to be with you this morning. Today we are looking at the question, are heaven and hell real? It was about a couple weeks ago, I was paying attention to the news, listening to one of the news reports, and I heard about the night, it was either the night of or the day after, one of the senators in Washington, D.C. had gone to a restaurant, and things have been contentious in Washington, don't you know, and the senator was in the restaurant, and some people who had a different position than the senator had seemed to express had come into that restaurant and they began to engage in conversation. And the conversation escalated and eventually the senator left the restaurant before he and, uh, and his spouse enjoyed their meal. And as he was on the way out of the restaurant, one of those people that had engaged in, in a conversation with him said, you're going to go to hell for the vote you're going to take. He said over and over and over again. And it was a fascinating thing to me that um, that language was used, that phrase was used. Now, on the one hand, hearing that, maybe that's just the kind of language we use when we want to disrespect somebody. We want to show somebody that we don't regard the position that they're taking. Or maybe we use that kind of language when somebody's offended us. But then I began to look past all of those questions and began to ask the question, does the person who said this What, in fact, do they mean by hell? What do they think about hell? Do they think that hell is a real place? What do they understand the nature of hell to be? Will a vote actually get you sent to hell, whatever they think it is? As uh, as I was thinking about that, then we came into a worship meeting where we were talking about this Sunday, and K.J. Rokey brought up a a show that I have not seen yet. Maybe some of you have seen it, called The Good Place. Any of you seen The Good Place? Watch The Good Place? Some of you in here are. And and he said, now imagine that that there are people around us, everybody around us seems to have this desire that there is some sense of an afterlife, even if you're an agnostic. And so The Good Place has as its premise or its subtext the question, what is the afterplace if you don't really believe in what God that there's a God, or, or you're not really sure about anything. And so he showed us this clip of The Good Place. Let's take a look. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to your first day in the afterlife. You were all, simply put, good people. But how do we know that you were good? How are we sure? During your time on Earth, every one of your actions had a positive or a negative value depending on how much good or bad that action put into the universe. Every sandwich you ate, every time you bought a magazine, every single thing you did had an effect that rippled out over time 
and ultimately created some amount of good or bad. You know how some people pull into the breakdown lane when there's traffic and they think to themselves, ah, who cares, no one's watching. We were watching. Surprise! <laughs> anyway, when your time on Earth has ended, we calculate the total value of your life using our perfectly accurate measuring system. Only the people with the very highest scores, the true cream of the crop, get to come here, to the good place. What happens to everyone else, you ask? Don't worry about it. The point is, you are here because you lived one of the very best lives that could be lived. And you won't be alone. Your true soulmate is here too. That's right, soulmates are real. One of the other people in your neighborhood is your actual soulmate, and you will spend eternity together. So welcome to eternal happiness. Welcome to the good place. Sponsored by otters holding hands while they sleep. You know the way you feel when you see a picture of two otters holding hands? That's how you're going to feel every day. <laughs> there is a lot to digest in that two-minute film. But the reality is, uh, on, on the one hand, we kind of felt crazy for the thought of putting within this sermon series on the, on the faith questions a sermon about heaven and hell. But when we look at our culture, the reality is, is that our culture is thinking about heaven, they're thinking about hell, they're thinking about the afterlife all the time. And the scripture has something to say about what the afterlife is like. And, and the scripture even has something to say about that, that one question where it says, what happens to people that don't get here? Well, don't think about it. Well, we all kind of think about it. You can't just take that question and set it aside into Neverland. Everybody kind of has to think about it. And the scripture speaks with a voice, with a voice not of saying don't think about things, but uh, no, with a voice that says all of us have eternity placed in our hearts. All of us, whether we, whether we attend to that, that thought, that desire or not, we all have eternity placed in our hearts. And at some point, it comes up before us. And so, what does Scripture say? What does God say? What do those who've gone before us have to say to us about things like heaven and hell? Well, let's take a look at hell first. The one thing that most of us don't want to take a look at, right? So you might as well you might as well take a look at this at the very beginning. Scripture uses all kinds of language, allegorical language, language from the stories that we live our lives, to think and to paint pictures about what both heaven and hell are like. Some of the pieces of, of words that are used to describe hell are these these words. Hell is is in one uh, it looks like a garbage heap. Outside the city of Jerusalem, there was this, this valley, and it was the, the place where everybody took their garbage. And in that place, there would be fires that would rise up. And when, when people wanted to write about a place that you couldn't live in, they thought about that place in the valley outside of Jerusalem where there was fires that would rise up out of the garbage that was placed there. Sometimes it's thought of as the banishment from, gar from the garden. What is it? To be in a place called hell is to be banished from where God is at. A place of death is oftentimes thought of as hell. In fact, all the words.
I don't know which mic this is, but um, all the words in the Old Testament are really are really thinking about a death and and um, where the place where the, the those who are dead abide, and so it, hell oftentimes is reflected as a place of the dead or darkness being on the outside, a place of sorrow and a regret, and a place that is like a lake of fire. Those words and many more, even the, um, when, when it's ever been really super cold, have you ever said, it is, it's like, there's a phrase in scripture where it's like, as cold as hell. You ever heard somebody say that or said that yourself? I mean, even the, the thought of cold can be like a description of what hell is like. In the book of Revelation, the writer there gives us a, an image that I'd like to, to point us to and have us read and hear together because he, he begins to describe and take these images that are woven throughout Scripture and he puts them in front of us. In Revelation 20, starting at verse 11, the writer says, And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it, the earth and the sky, fled from his presence but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and the death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This picture that the writer gives to us starts with this picture of a throne room and God sitting on the throne. And God brings out a couple of books and these, these books are going to be used in a, in a sense of judgment. And the books are opened up. And in one of the books are recorded all the deeds of our lives. The, we might call it the book of deeds or the book of records. And those deeds are laid out for, for each of us to see what we did. But then there's another book. And that other book that is opened up is a book that has within it the, the names. Well, it's called the book of life. And the names that are written in it are those who've been clothed with God's grace. They've responded in some way. And the book of life isn't described in intricate detail in this moment, but it's, it's throughout the rest of the book of Revelation, and it's throughout some of the other places in Scripture. They talk about this book where, where when people follow after Christ, their names are written in it. And so there's this moment where the writer sees this image, this, this picture before him of this judgment, and everything that has been done is revealed and also revealed in that place are those whose names are written in the book of life. And then from that judgment scene, the writer looks over and two things that we don't often personify, that is death and hell itself, the grave. The writer says, if you can imagine those as persons, they're personified. They would like to run away, right, and hide, but they, are not, they can't do that. They're personified, and they're picked up, the writer says, and they're thrown into the lake of fire, which is to be the second death sort of place. 
the reason that happens is because death and the grave itself are enemies of God. They're enemies of Christ. All throughout the pages of Scripture, death is this thing that wasn't supposed to be. Hell is this thing that was never supposed to be. Never in God's idea, never in God's intention, never God's plan. But they came along out of sin as a result of sin. So God picks them up and he casts them out to be done away with. Um, Yesterday, in this place, we had a funeral for Ed Hewlett. Many of you know Ed Hewlett. You knew Ed Hewlett. And Ed faced the reality that all of us face, right? All of us are going to face death. All of us are going to face the grave. Ed didn't face death or the grave with a lot of fear. He understood on the one hand that, they, that, that death itself wasn't something that was in God's original idea. But it's something that we all go through. In fact, Christ himself, God himself, when he became incarnate in Christ, went through death and death on the cross. And so because of Christ's resurrection, and we've sung a number of songs about the resurrection of Christ, death is not something that we have to fear. But because we don't have to fear it, it never has to become a friend. In fact, death is never a friend to God. It is something that he intends to pick up and cast away because it's not connected with the life that he intends for us or for anyone. So, Ed died with a great deal of hope, incredible amount of hope, knowing that because in Christ, he lived in Christ, he'd be raised in Christ. There was a victory over death and the grave. So there's, there's hope in that part of, of Revelation where we see God on the throne and he's bringing judgment. But then there's a challenging point. And it's that last line that the writer talks about where the writer says, those whose names are not written in the book of life, they too are picked up and they're cast into the lake of fire. How is it that one's names are written in the book of life or whose names are not written in the book of life? Jesus helps us understand this line from, from the text. In Matthew 22, he tells a parable about a king who has a son who's going to be married. And this king sends out invitations to, to all kinds of people that he knows, all kinds of friends. He sends the invitations out, and he gets a bunch of responses back. It's a bad day. I'm too busy. Just bought a new, just bought a new uh, car taken out for a road trip, won't be back for a while. A lot, of, a lot of people send in their RSVP regrets. The king is, is looking at his plans for this banquet. And so he says to those who are around him, he says, well, we've got to have a party. So he says to his servants, those who are helping him out, he says, go out into the streets and tell everybody that they're invited. Everybody's invited to this party. And so they make preparations. They go into the streets. Everybody gets an invitation. And tons of people show up. Lots of people appear because they've been invited. All of us have been invited to the party that God wants, wants to throw. But there's one person who shows up at the party. And Jesus says that this person doesn't come with the clothes that everybody else is wearing, the clothes of celebration. They wear their own clothes. 
Maybe it's their clothes of self-interest or their clothes of self-righteousness. But they refuse to change for the sense that they're going to somebody else's house for a party. In fact, it's as if, Jesus says, that when they arrive at this king's house, it's like they themselves have decided to become the king or the queen. And this, this home that is somebody else's is going to become their own palace. And Jesus says in that moment, in that instant, the king says to his servants, he doesn't belong here. This is a place he doesn't really want to be. Send him away. And so he's sent away. In that story that Jesus gives to us, he's painting for us a picture that all of us are invited. But we have to want to be there, right? We have to want to be clothed with his grace. We have to want to bend the knee to him who is the king of the universe. Do we want to be there? Do we want to be in his presence? Hell is not God's idea, but it is a real place, the scriptures tell us. It's a real place that exists down in the future. And for many of us, it's a real place and a reality that some of us are going through right now. Some of the words that describe hell within the page of scripture talk about it as being a place of darkness a place of loneliness, a place of despair, regret. Some of us have come actually to this place today because some of the events, some of the circumstances in our own life we can describe as hellish. We wish they weren't, but that's really where we find life living. You know, the judgment that God meets out on hell is this, is this phrase. God, in fact, wants hell to end. If there's a hell that you're going through in your own life, God wants it to end, to bring it to a close, to say, it's finished. And God would really love for the eternal hell to end. To end. KJ, we come up here in just a moment. This is a complete um, out of the ordinary thing. But I'm just going to ask you to sing that, that last chorus of that song we did, Hallelujah, It's Finished, in just a moment. And we'll do it. Maybe the rest of us can sing it a cappella. But um, back on the wall, back in the prayer room in there, there's a line from the Gospel of Luke. In that Gospel of Luke, <clears throat> It's Jesus' preaching in the, in the synagogue in Nazareth. In the synagogue, he picks up the book of Isaiah and he reads out of it. And he describes about himself how he's sent into this world to be a deliverer, to unlock the places that are locked up, to deliver people from prison who are in prison. And when Jesus talks about delivering people from prison, it's not just a prison like we may think of that we see where people are, are locked away, but it's a prison that's an eternal prison. And the Apostle Peter, who walks with Jesus in all of those moments, will take up that theme and he'll tell us that when Jesus is laid in the tomb after he's dead, 
and the tomb. The tomb looks like he's closed and he's sleeping on that slab of stone. That Jesus isn't there, but that Jesus went to hell and he preached. He preached the good news that in him there's life. He tore down the gates of hell, the place that we think no one can come out of. He tore down those gates. And he invited everybody who's there to walk out. Romans book there was this picture that picture for me hangs in my office wall as a constant reminder that Christ has won our redemption and his hand his hand is ever reaching out to us if we think we're in hell now always reaching out to us. The writer goes on to describe what heaven is like. And the writer says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they'll be his people. God himself will be with them. and He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. The heaven that's depicted is a heaven that is a great hope for us out in the future. But it's not just out in the future. Ed Hewlett's granddaughter yesterday stood up here and talked about her grandfather. This last summer, she was down in South America and she was going through a difficult time. And her grandpa wrote her a letter. He said, honey, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the depth that you're going through right now. He said, but a long time ago, I was at Fort Leonard Wood. I was at Fort Leonard Wood and I was going through my own trial. but I looked to Jesus. And the moment that I looked to him, there was a power from God that I'd, I couldn't imagine in my own life what it was like. There was a power from God that came in and it dwelt in the deepest places of my heart. Shaped the entirety of my life. And some of you know, who knew Ed, you knew Ed as somebody that loved God deeply 
that followed God with everything he could think of or imagine with the fullness of his strength. But deep inside of him, pushing him on every day was the hope of heaven and the confidence that Christ had won the victory and that out in front of him, there was nothing to be afraid of. But there was just a life to be lived now and in the future with the glory of God surrounding him, carrying him on, blessing him. Some of you, you trust Jesus. Life is hard and it's difficult right now. Look to heaven. Look to that reality, that new heaven, new earth, where God says throughout everything and what you're going through right now, I make all things new. And look to the banquet. There is a banquet that will be spread for us. And this is the foretaste. When we come to this table, some of us need to come to this table today where we hear about the bread broken and the cup that is blessed because we need to be encouraged and strengthened for the journey that we're on. And some of us, we don't know anything about that, but we need to come because Jesus is calling us, because he's invited us invited us to be a part of his house. He's invited us to be a part of his party. And we need to come and receive his grace and walk in his ways.